We have been in a series and continue to be called There's No Place Like Home. We have looked at two messages on marriage. We have looked at two messages on fathers. We have looked at one message from mothers. And to wrap up this series, uh, today we're looking at common uh, questions about marriage and parenting, part one. And then in the will of the Lord, next Lord's Day, we'll look at uh, common marriage and parenting questions and biblical answers to them, part two. That will conclude our There's No Place Like Home series. And so I have some questions that are commonly asked about either marriage or parenting that I'd like to address with the Word of God uh, with you in these moments. The first question, as you'll see on the insert of your bulletins, if you'd care to take notes, the first question is, uh, is it God's will for everyone to marry? I think most of us would understand that's not necessarily God's will for everyone, but some come to me uh, very concerned, very upset, assuming that is God's will for them to marry, and it may be, but they haven't been provided a spouse yet, or it may be that God has given the gift of singleness, and it's not his will for that particular person to marry. But the question is, is it God's will for everyone to marry? And the simple answer is no, it isn't. Uh, the Apostle Paul, who God used to write 60% of the New Testament, was not married. It says in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it's good for them if they remain even as I. So the great Apostle Paul uh, was not married. And the time, the energy, the money that was freed up because he was single, he directed intentionally to doing the work of an apostle, planting churches around the ancient Mediterranean basin to the glory of God. Second question, I've heard this question asked to me several times in being your pastor for these two and a half years. My husband faked being a Christian, so I'd marry him. May I say that's reprehensible fraud. My husband faked being a Christian, so I'd marry him. What should I do? Well, the first thing the Word of God would tell you to do is to remain in your marriage. Second, to pray earnestly for your husband's salvation. Third, to live Christ, the life of Christ, out before him so he can see it and can unequivocally admit that you are supernaturally different than the average person. Pray about his salvation, as I've said, but do not preach to your husband to try to convert him. Pray for him. Don't preach at him. Get at least one spiritually mature woman as your friend and your prayer partner. You can have many different uh, Christian women as your friend's frustrated wife, but be sure to have at least one you can fully confide in, cry on her shoulder, pray with her, and know it won't go any further than her. The whole basis of what I've just told you is scriptural. In 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says in God's word, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior 
of their wives as they observe your chaste, that means pure, and respectful behavior. So if you have a husband that you're married to who faked being a Christian, first of all, shame on him. May he repent. Second, stay in the marriage. Pray for his salvation. Don't preach at him. Live a chaste and a respectful life that honors both Jesus Christ and him, even though he's not saved. That's God's recipe. Third question. What are we Christian parents trying to accomplish? What is the goal of Christian parenting? Biblically, what Christian parents share by way of a target in their parenting is to raise children who come eventually to be independent of them in favor of becoming dependent on Jesus. That is a goal that every Christian parent should have, that they would raise their children to gradually, incrementally become independent of them so that they will become fully dependent on Jesus. In John 15, 5, before going to the cross, Jesus said the following to his disciples, and by extension, he says it to us here in the 21st century. Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I want two children that one day, every day, will say, Daddy, apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. This goal of Christian parenting to ultimately, incrementally, uh, consistently uh, come to be raising children who are independent of us and dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, may I point out to you that that can be done if your grown child marries or if your grown child remains single. This attitude of full and complete dependence on Jesus Christ for your child growing up can happen if they're in a well-paying job or if they're in a low-paying job. It can happen here in the Bahama land. It can happen in some other country. The goal of Christian parenting, what we pray for, what we model, what we teach, is that our children, as they grow up, will come to be increasingly independent of us in favor of becoming more independent upon Jesus. That's success in the eyes of heaven as a parent. And by the way, if we are striving and parenting to have our children grow to be independent of us but dependent upon God, does that not perfectly set up the formula of Genesis 2, verse 24, which says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, there's the independence, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You can't cleave to your wife if you haven't left your parents. And when we raise Christian children who understand that our goal for them, our prayer for them, our hope for them is they become independent of us in favor of becoming dependent upon Jesus Christ, we have set them up properly to leave and to cleave in a marriage if they're going to get married. And the converse is also true. 
This teaching and raising of our children to become independent of us and dependent upon Jesus is done by parents walking the walk, not talking a talk they're not walking. This comes when parents fully depend on the Lord themselves and live like apart from Jesus, they can do nothing as parents. This is done marching against the drummer of our culture. Our culture doesn't put this forward as a goal of parenting. It's countercultural, but it's biblical. And this raising up of children who learn to be independent of us in favor of being dependent upon Christ takes faith. It takes lived out, demonstrated faith by parents. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, to the Corinthians who were a messed up church, he said, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Would to God that we as parents who know and love Jesus could say to our children, and it would have some weight and some meaning, be imitators of us as we also are imitators of Christ. Faith is every day, isn't it? Faith is either self-evident or self-absent. And our kids who live with us are video camcorders, and they video camcord everything that they're awake to see and hear. And so if we say we have faith, but it's not evident to them, then we don't have faith to them. And if it's worse, as we're living as a Christian family and we say we have faith, but we live as though we have an absence of faith, they see that too. And they see that especially when the parents' lives are shaken by stress and problems, and faith doesn't come out of the container as it's shaken by faith, by uh, doubt and stress, excuse me. So we raise children as our ambition to be independent of us, to be dependent upon the Lord Jesus. Question four, one of us is lenient and the other is harsh with the kids. What should we do? The answer here is, as parents, as husband and wife, you must privately talk with each other and pray together in order to arrive at a shared position as parents, perhaps that will be a compromise between the harshness and the lenience. Because neither extreme of lenience nor harshness is right in the eyes of God. And don't rush this. Whatever you do as parents, land on it together. And be clear. It must be clear. It must be enforceable. It must be sustainable. It must be God-honoring. And as well, of course, it must be congruent with your life's plumb line, which is the scriptures. And so the overly harsh and the overly lenient uh, married couple uh, needs to understand that children, by nature of who children are, will try to divide to conquer. They'll try to play one of you against the other. The counseling term on this is triangulation. Triangulation is when the children try to drive a wedge between their mommy and their daddy by over-investing in one parent or the other, or the parent over-invests in one of the children more than the others and tries to start communicating to the spouse through a child that 
is the recipe for disaster, triangulation. Never let that happen. And if it's happening now, repent. <laughs> You're st- if this is the triangle, and these, the children are here, and this is the husband, and this is the wife, never have triangulation. You strengthen this axis of the, the, the uh, triangle or the pyramid. The husband-wife axis must be the strongest r- axis of love and communication and trust and delegation and all those things. And the children, remember, they are just a welcome addition to a family. They are not the uh, body and space that everything else revolves around. And so parents in this quandary are to stand together. They are to show no disagreement with the course of action once this is chosen, and they should not show any cracks in their armor to the children who are looking to divide and conquer. And in this state, the parents together must demand that their child be more respectful and and, uh, more courteous to the other spouse. In other words, if the child starts disrespecting mommy and I'm the daddy, then I make sure the child knows you must respect your mommy and make sure that the standard for respecting mommy is even higher than the standard of respecting me. That sends a message. And then never, ever disrespect your spouse when you've had these lenience and harsh debate, harshness debates. Never, for any circumstance, never disrespect your spouse ever, but especially don't disrespect your spouse in front of the children. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, 10, and 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Children, when they're in their flesh, want to tear it apart. And if there's a father in the home, and I pray that there is, he takes the lead in concert with the mother. And if there's not a father in the home, uh, what about a godly grandfather? What about a godly uncle? What about a godly godparent? What about a godly brother in Christ at the assembly where you are a member? Children will be provoked either to anger by lenience That's anger that looks like insolence, rude disrespect, or by harshness, that anger looks like bitterness and rebellion. And we've looked at Ephesians 6, 4 in previous sermons. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the the instruction of the Lord. Next question. My wife or my husband is cold toward me. What should I do? The first thing you should do is pray. And then at the right time that God shows you, in the right place that God shows you, uh, you need to express your frustration. And then gently, just the two of you, without criticism or judgment, try to find out why he or she is disinterested. Is it stress? Is it distractions? Is it busyness? Is it illness? Is it physical condition? Is it upbringing? Is it a traumatic past? Is it resentment? Is it guilt? Is it a power play? Is it a payback? Is it adultery? Is it fear? Is it a wrong view of intimacy? Then, I strongly encourage you, if this is an issue, that you humbly seek professional biblical counseling 
at the Christian Counseling Center just across the parking lot. It's especially important because I don't think I have to um, teach you something you don't know, but listen to 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 5. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. May I remind us this morning, brothers and sisters, that the facts are at least two. First fact, Satan is never inactive. When you go to sleep and I go to sleep at night, he's still acting. He's never inactive. And the second thing to remind ourselves of is that the barrage of temptation to sexual sin has never, ever been more strong. And so seek answers with your spouse because answers do exist Question, is it or isn't it right to spank? Uh, Biblically, the answer is it is right, but it must be done in the right way. Proverbs 13, 24, he who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Or Proverbs 23, 13, and 14, do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew concept of the grave. We can spank a child in the proper way in time and prevent them from having a premature death. That's what Sheol is. Hebrews 12, 10 to 11 For they disciplined us, that is, earthly parents, for they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he, God, disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his, God's holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So is spanking right? According to the Bible it is, but... It must be done in the proper way. What's the proper way? Clearly, calmly, consistently, and constructively. The child needs to clearly know what is an offense that will bring a spanking. And then consistently, that offense, if the child repeats, it should get a spanking. He shouldn't get a spanking one time he does that thing and not get a spanking the other time he does that thing. That's inconsistent. But when we spank, we have to be clear what the offense was. We need to sit the child down before we spank and say, this is what you did. Clear, calm, never spank in anger. Never spank in anger. If your child needs a spanking, you step out of the room, you pray, you go to the Word, you take however long it takes for you to have an uh, unturbulent spirit an anger-free outlook, then you can calmly spank as you need to. And of course, constructively, 
that spanking is not only punitive, it's instructive. So after you spank, you uh, let the child cry for a little time, and then you go back in the room, if they're in their room, and you sit on their bed, and you put your arm around them, and you tell them that you love them. And you tell them that one of the ways that I can show you I love you is that I correct you. And when you need a spanking, get a spanking. But do you know why it's so important for you not to lie like you did when you got the spanking? Do you know why that's so important? Because when you lie, you go against God's character because God is no liar. And when you lie, if you learn a lifestyle of lying, then you won't know the truth from a lie and you'll be uh, put in a hard place to keep a job, to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend when you grow up, to have a wife or a husband. I spanked you because you lied. And that's wrong because God is no liar. And I love you enough to correct you on that. And I know that you can tell the truth from now on. Question seven. How does a parent avoid or correct child leadership in the home? You do realize that in some homes, the children are the leaders, not the parents. How do you correct that? Well, as parents, you don't back down and you always win. You don't negotiate unless you're giving the child two options which are equally fine to you. You don't go passive and you don't go phlegmatic. The passive parents say, I don't want to deal with this. I'm a victim. The phlegmatic Temperament parents just swing through life with no sense of urgency or action required. And so the phlegmatic parent says, I don't deal with this. Let's go play volleyball. Avoid both. Instead, servant lead your children. Servant lead your children. Matthew 23, 11 to 12 Jesus said, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. That should be what parenting looks like in your homes and mine. You do know there's a strong impact, a very strong influence in servant leadership. In the course of taking the reign of leadership away from children who have somehow been allowed to get it, never tolerate backtalk or disrespect. Have your kids call you sir or ma'am. Cross-cultural. It's old school. But old school was a good school. Sir or ma'am. Be steering your children. Don't let them drift. Steer them with the goal of them one day steering themselves in God-honoring ways. Be very intentional about this, because if you're not intentional about this, you will abdicate the leadership of your home, and the next thing you know, your child or your children will be leading you. Be intentional. Children aren't meant to lead their homes. They're meant to be led. Be intentional. Proverbs 14, 15, the naive believes everything, but the sensible man considers his steps. You know, the Lagos Hope ship was in port in Nassau not too long ago, in August. And I was talking to some of the crew, on senior crew on the ship, 
And they told me an amazing story that happened when they were in port in Nassau. There was this teenager, maybe a little beyond a teenager, a young adult in his 20s, who was sullen, uninspired, uh, unhappy, no vision for his life, no desire about spiritual things, really. And the ship came into port, and his dad, who happened to be a member of an Anglican church, he made his son go to the ship. The son did not want to go to the ship. He wasn't interested in the ship. He didn't see any point. It was a waste of time getting him off his devices and his games, computer games, video games. He did not want to go, but the father made him go. There he was on the ship with his dad, and he saw all that was going on in the ship and saw the video presentations and heard the ministries, the different ministries of the ship, And he himself, with no prodding from his daddy, eagerly signed himself up to be a crew member of the ship for one year. That was a servant-leading father. What would have happened if the father let the son lead him and the son said, I don't feel like going to that. That's that's worthless. Okay, son. You can stay home. I'm going to go. No, that's not what... That's not what happened, and that's, thank God, not what happened. So have the last say. Show your leadership, servant leadership, by having the last say. Uh, Have a home where basically and usually the children are seen and not heard. I was raised that if you can't improve on silence, then be quiet. Old school. Old school. But I've noticed that the kids who graduate from old school are doing better in life than the kids that are graduating from new school. Initiate, lead by initiating. Give chores to your children, geared to their ages and abilities. Give chores to them and then follow up with the children and monitor them. Line up Christian service outlets for your kids. Ways that they can serve the Lord Jesus within this body of believers or perhaps outside this body of believers. Line those things up and say, "Uh, Johnny, we are going to serve in the soup kitchen on this date. We are going to do some extra cleaning at the church building that sometimes the cleaning ladies don't get around to because of their other responsibilities. Line up Christian service ministries for your children. Also, line up community service outlets for your children, ways that your children can learn to serve Jesus in the wider community. The needs of NASA are immense. Immense. We as Christian parents should be looking for outlets where our kids can provide Christian impact in community service. Still on this, how do you wrestle back or prevent children leading your home Don't ever side with your child instead of his or her teacher. When I got got in trouble at school, my father didn't phone the principal and say, what are you doing mistreating my son? If I got in trouble at school, I got a spanking at home. Never side with your child over a teacher if the teacher's in the right. You yourself as a parent, 
self-deny, deny deny yourself, and have an other's orientation. When your children see that you are denying yourself things that you might want or time you might want to spend, but you are others have an other's orientation, that people have a, a, a higher priority than just serving your own needs, that is caught as much as it is taught. Here's another one. Entertain people in your home. Is entertaining the lost art? You don't have to do a five-course meal, but invite someone into your home for tea or coffee or dessert and have your children a part of that social time. Teach your children that hosts give up things for guests. And so if you teach them over a cup of tea that that when the missionary from another country comes and you put the missionary up in your house and you put the missionary in their bed, they understand that hosts give up for guests. Now here's one you make you smile. Don't always compliment how cute or smart your child is when they're present. Children who hear so much, you saying to someone else in their hearing, isn't he smart? Isn't she so cute? They start believing their press clippings. They can be smart and they can be cute, but you can tell them that privately with a hug. The times when you tell your children that they're smart and cute should be more like salt and pepper than birthday cakes. Season to need. (laughs) These are the questions for today. We'll have more questions next week. Uh, Could only do this much so far today. Thank you for your attention to God's word.